the word of the Lord today. I want to turn your attention to the book of 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And uh, we're going to read a few verses of scripture beginning with verse 1. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 1. The scripture says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out into the world hereby know ye the spirit of God every spirit that confesseth not or that confesseth rather that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come. And now, even now, already is it in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And God, we ask for your hand in this time of sharing your word. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be in this house. Move, oh God, I pray, upon the preaching of your word, upon your messenger as I deliver your word, and upon your people as we receive your word. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would move in this house upon the hearts of men, women, and children. Lord, that we would receive what thus saith the Lord. That we be strengthened by your spirit and by your word. We thank you for this, Lord, and we give you praise. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm, I'm ministering this morning on the subject, overcoming the spirit of Antichrist. Overcoming the spirit of Antichrist. So I'm sorry for, <clears throat> sorry for ruining a quaint Sunday morning. I know you were coming to church to get a word from the Lord and something maybe to, uh, to leave you feeling good and happy, and we are going to get there. <laughs> but uh, you don't always get there uh, by immediately talking about Antichrist. It's not the most coveted topic to talk about and it no doubt uh, causes images in people's minds to to form as they have perhaps notions already about this idea of anti-Christ and this of course is a is a term that is quite familiar to even the most casual observer of the scriptures the idea of antichrist it's 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 not a it's not a uh, it's not a fun term it's not a a uh, welcomed term but it is in the bible although it's only in the bible uh, a, f- a few times if that in fact only one writer uses the term and and it's this writer that we've read about john many people have for years wondered when the antichrist will emerge Many people have thought they had it all figured out as to who the Antichrist was going to be. How many times did you think you knew who the Antichrist was growing up? If you've been serving the Lord for a while and, uh, and you uh, had heard about the rise of the Antichrist, maybe you've already had him pegged 10 or 12 times. I remember my mother describing how terrified she was of Nikita Khrushchev and how he had the missiles aimed at the United States of America during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And folks, that would have had to have been a terrifying time in our nation's history to know how how close we really were to nuclear oblivion. And she was a a 13-year-old girl at the time, and she said, I just knew, I just knew, I just knew Nikita Khrushchev was the Antichrist. 
Uh, then folks thought Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. He was going to broker a, a, a deal of peace in the Middle East. And, uh, and Henry Kissinger was going to emerge as the, as the Antichrist. I remember as a kid, I saw a book that said, Mikhail Gorbachev is the Antichrist. And I thought, I didn't know Mikhail Gorbachev was the Antichrist. Some folks thought Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist because, because his name was Ronald Wilson Reagan, and each name had six letters in it, and that can only mean one thing. That can only mean one thing. So <clears throat> there is a lot, of, uh, a lot of imagination surrounding this figure, and, and then there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth course obviously surrounding this figure and, and who better to talk about it than this man by the name of John who wrote about him and, and actually used the term antichrist in fact he was the he was the only one who who used the term antichrist and he he described it in in so many uh, su such interesting terms in fact at one point, he said that if you deny the Father and the Son, then you are anti-Christ. In one place, he said, little children, it is the last time that as you have heard that anti-Christ shall come, even now are there many anti-Christs whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest that they were not all of us. But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you do know the truth. And that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth? That Jesus is the Messiah. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. And so this, uh, this is a guy who can write about it. Because he had a, a view of Antichrist that was far different really than any other who wrote about this mysterious figure. In the book of Revelation, of course, we uh, see a clearer picture of this one that is called the Antichrist. And when we think of that word, when we think of that term, of course, all of these thoughts and ideas come into our mind. And we, of course, consider one world government. And we consider one world currency and a cashless society. And we have the idea of, of a mark being imposed upon people. The Bible tells us that there will come a day in which they will neither be able to buy or sell except they take the mark. And in the book of Revelation, John does not call him the Antichrist. He calls him the beast. And this word beast really depicts what kind of a figure the Antichrist will be. It's not the same word beast as used in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, when the Lord created the beasts of the field, He created uh, in the Hebrew what is the kai. And this simply means alive, fresh, strong, living creatures. And the Lord created them as beasts of the field. But in the book of Revelation, it's a Greek word that serves to denote the beast that is prevalent in the scriptures of the book of Revelation. And it is the word therion. And this word denotes a dangerous beast. It, it's, it's distinct from other kinds of beasts. It is a dangerous beast. It is used in another place in the scripture. It is used in the book of Acts when Paul was... Uh, was building a fire after having been shipwrecked and was on the island of Miletus. And while he's building this fire, a venomous snake lunges at him from the fire and latches onto his arm. And miraculously, Paul felt no harm. 
And while everybody who knew the beast and understood the nature of the beast and the venomous nature of the beast, they expected Paul to fall down dead right there on the spot. In fact, when the snake first bit him, they thought, oh, this man must be a murderer because he has been judged by fate that this snake would bite him. And then Paul felt no harm and started shaking the snake off in the fire. You know, I get the image of him, you know, getting bit and looking down and saying, you know, silly snake, you can't. I don't think that's how it happened. I mean, I know Holy Ghost power, no. If a snake jumps out of a fire on me, it's not going to be a It's going to be a Holy Ghost shout down right here, right now. There'll be a whole lot of shaking going on. You got that right. And running and leaping and never coming back. But this snake was a venomous beast. It was a therion. It was, it was a dangerous beast. And so this was, the, this was the same word that John used to describe the beast in the book of Revelation, which was the Antichrist. And he described this world dominance. He described this, this deception. This almost a hypnosis type of deception and charisma that would come from this antichrist figure. And, and one of the very uh, terrifying statements concerning the end of days is, is the statement that the very elect will be able to be deceived. The scripture describes that everything that can be shaken shall be shaken. So this, this individual, of course, is in tandem with Satan and the false prophet. And the book of Revelation describes the false prophet as causing people to worship the image of the beast. And you see in Revelation chapter 13, you see uh, the description of, of this beast coming up out of the water. And folks, it is a terrifying description. Uh, my mother used to play cassette tapes of the Bible for my brother and sister and I. When we would go to sleep, she'd put a tape player in our room and play cassette tapes of the Word of God. And we'd fall asleep to the Word of God going over and over in our minds. And, uh, and then we'd wake up and we'd want to hear more of it and we'd listen to more of it. Well, one day my brother got a hold of the book of Revelation. And he came in just terrified, wide-eyed. Mom didn't know what happened until she realized he got a hold of the book of Revelation and he started hearing about some big beast coming up out of the water with multiple heads and multiple horns and multiple crowns and teeth like iron. And, and the description of this thing was, it was, listen, it was not over the top. It was, it probably maybe was even understated. Because John maybe didn't know how to say it just the way that it was. But what he was trying to get across was, you have no idea how dangerous this ungodly thing called Antichrist is. And this was important for him to say because I, I think that sometimes we get the idea in our mind that, that you know, we would never entertain the, the, the idea of Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist, because of how scary it is how dangerous it is and and if you don't know by now and I think most of you do the devil isn't the one really posing himself as scary he doesn't really he doesn't really show up with a pitchfork in his hand and with horns on his head he leaves that costume in the closet he shows up as the thing you want the most he shows up saying everything you would ever want to hear. His words are smooth as silk. And they are words that pacify your flesh. Words that cause you to feel justified in walking the wrong path. And so when you look at the... The serpent in the Garden of Eden, the scripture says concerning that serpent that confronted Eve. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. There was no beast of the field more subtle than the serpent itself. And when the serpent began to communicate with Eve, this was 
something that Eve was open to. And the words were actually justifying her and her thoughts and her feelings. And then, of course, it proved to be deception. It proved to be a problem. And, and she fell. And sin entered the world when Adam was disobedient. But you know, if I went around this room and asked person after person who that serpent was, there would be no debate. We all know who the serpent was. The serpent was the devil. But did you know Genesis chapter 3 doesn't say that the serpent was the devil? Neither does Genesis 4 or Genesis 5 or the entire book of Genesis for that matter. You don't see it in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy. You don't see it throughout Joshua, Judges, Ruth, the Samuels, the Chronicles, the Kings. You don't see it in Psalms and Proverbs. You don't see it through any of the major or minor prophets. You don't see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or any of the epistles who that serpent was. It isn't until the book of Revelation. When John sees that old serpent, which is called the devil, that's when we find out who the serpent was. And I was curious. I thought, why, why do we encounter this serpent three chapters into the Bible, but we don't find out his identity until ten chapters before the Bible concludes? And there's a lot of chapters in between those two chapters. And I was just curious, and it occurred to me why we don't know who this serpent was. God didn't bother to make a big deal about the serpent being the devil and the devil being the serpent because God knows how we are. And if he'd have made a big deal about the serpent being the devil and the devil being the serpent, then that's the only way we would see him forevermore. Despite the fact that he comes in so many different forms and functions. Regardless of how he approaches us, we would be deceived if we always expected him to show up as our worst fear. Always expecting him to show up as our greatest nightmare. But he doesn't show up as your greatest nightmare and as your worst fear. Sometimes, like in David's case, he shows up as a lion or a bear or a big nine foot six inch giant in the valley of Elah, those are not hard to discern. This is my enemy. But when he shows up as a temptation like Bathsheba was to David, and David doesn't see the temptation as a snare of the enemy because it's something that appeals to him, he's got a problem. So you have to understand today, the enemy can come to you in a variety of forms. And this is why John, the revelator, who was also John, the beloved, wanted to reveal to us that the Antichrist isn't just some lumbering beast with all kinds of heads and crowns and horns and walking up out of the water and standing up, coming to the shore of the water. That's not the only way that the Antichrist shows up. He's not just a beast who imposes his mark on all the world. But the Antichrist is a, is a spirit of Antichrist. He even told the church, he said, listen, you know that Antichrist is coming. You understand that Antichrist is on his way. But I want you to know that there is a spirit of Antichrist. And the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. But don't be afraid, he said, because you have overcome the spirit of Antichrist. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He said it's not just a beast, it's also a spirit. It's something you can't see. It's something you can't hear. It's something you can't feel. It's something you can't put your hands on. It's something that you don't automatically understand and you don't automatically discern. Spirits are so subtle and so, so sneaky and so deceptive. Spirits can talk to you and you don't even know they're talking to you. Spirits can communicate with you and make impressions on you and you don't even realize that's why you feel the way you feel. But you are under the influence of a spirit. The Bible talks about it. It refers to the spirit of fear. We think fear is a feeling. No, fear is a spirit. 
And it is affecting you in a way that you now have feelings that make you afraid and make you concerned and give you anxiety. But the scripture says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Another spirit that the Bible talks about is the spirit of heaviness. The scripture says that God came to give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. There is a heaviness spirit that weighs on you. You've felt it before. You don't even know what it is. You don't even know why it exists. You can wake up one day and you went to bed with everything feeling fine, going fine. Folks were doing good. But the next morning you wake up and you don't even want to get out of bed. Let alone go out the door. Let alone respond to somebody who's trying to get a hold of you. You want to give up in certain ways because there's a heaviness on you. It is a spirit of heaviness. The Bible says that God wants to take that spirit of heaviness from you and replace it with the garment of praise. That's how you get the spirit of heaviness off your back. You let the heaviness go and let the praise flow. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. You are my God and my salvation. I love you with all my heart, my soul, my mind. Thank you for touching my body. Thank you for making me whole. Thank you for raising me up this morning. Thank you for giving me strength in my body, strength in my mind. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let me, let me. Let me dwell on this for just a moment. The Bible says in everything give thanks. That's not just God looking for a compliment. He's not fishing for compliments. You know, God doesn't need our praise in that context. God knows how good praise is for us. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Well, pastor, I don't have much to give God thanks for. Now, wait a minute. I understand you're going through crisis right now and you're going through difficult times, but you've got something to thank God for. You have got something. Yeah, but my back has been giving me trouble. Then thank God that your arms are all right. But my arms have been hurting. Then thank God your legs are all right. But my legs have been bothering me. Then thank God your kidney's doing good. Your heart is doing good. Your brain is doing fine. Give him thanks for something. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. It's good. It, 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 not just, it doesn't just bless God. It's good for you. It lifts you and gives you strength in your spirit. And so there are spirits involved in the way that you and I feel and and we can, we can fall prey to them without knowing we're falling prey to them. And the spirit of Antichrist is like that serpent in the garden. It's the most subtle of all spirits. And John said it's so subtle. Here you guys have been dreading its arrival. And it's already here. We're terrified that somebody's going to raise up and take over the world and, and, and command everybody to get Mark of the Beast. And, 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 and you're, you're scared to death that day is going to come and you don't even realize that this spirit of Antichrist is already talking in your ear, already getting you, to, getting you to sign on to philosophies that aren't of God, getting you to resist the will of God in your life, getting you to resist obeying God, getting you to resist serving God, getting you to resist giving God your all, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. He's already here. But you're waiting for a beast. And right now he's, he's just a spirit. And he's, and he's moving so freely. And you're giving him such access to your life. And he's, and he's just coming in and wreaking havoc in your home. Wreaking havoc in your mind. Wreaking havoc in your finances, wreaking havoc in your children, wreaking havoc in your marriage. Come on, somebody. It's a spirit of antichrist. And I know that I know that we uh, would never dream that we would ever be susceptible to a spirit of antichrist. Well, no, you may not have put 
the mark of the beast on your forehead just yet. But this spirit is sneakier than that. And this spirit tries to, tries to influence us in ways that, uh, that we may not altogether see coming. So we think of it in terms of Antichrist. And we have all these imaginations concerning that word Antichrist. But, but you think about it. This word is, 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 is act, this term is actually uh, quite understandable if you really consider it. Uh, I guess the question would be how pro-Christ are you? How pro-Christ are you? How pro-Christ are your decisions? How pro-Christ are your values? How pro-Christ are your thoughts? Now, now I just want to preach the word to you this morning. Because I'm going to tell you something. I think Jesus is, I think Jesus is, is, is sometimes we lose sight of who he really is. And there's a lot of people who love to praise him but don't like to obey him. There's a lot of people who love to shout about him, but they don't enjoy getting down into the scriptures and understanding what he said and letting his words transform their lives. I, I, was, I was in the bookstore one day and came across a book that said the greatest speeches ever given. And I, I just grabbed it up. I said, I need that book. I need to read all these greatest speeches. And sure enough, the greatest speeches in the world were in there. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. We only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And, and never give up, never give up, never, 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 never. I mean, the greatest speeches in all the world. And it went all the way back, hundreds and hundreds of years. And then it went all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount. And I thought to myself, now wait a minute. That is the greatest speech. It doesn't even belong in this book. It's so great. He's not just another world leader. He's not just another sage of his age. He's not just another great teacher in a succession of great teachers. Jesus is the Christ. He is the mighty God incarnate. He is the only begotten son of the living God. The wonderful, the counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace. Everybody likes Jesus, but not everybody loves Jesus. Everybody likes Jesus. In fact, folks, folks don't even have a problem with Jesus. A lot of times they have a problem with his followers. But if you ask just about anybody, they like Jesus. Even if they don't want to serve him, even though they don't want to call him Lord. I got into a taxi cab one time in downtown Indianapolis and Every once in a while, you know, if the spirit will move, I'll just start witnessing to the drivers and have a conversation with them. And, and this man was driving, and, and we got to talk, and I said, when you get off work, why don't you come to the service tonight that I'm preaching? And, and the Lord will minister to you. He said, well, I'm Muslim. I said, that's all right. You come on anyway. And he said, he said well, he said, I, I, I don't have a problem with Jesus. He said, he said Jesus we, we believe that Jesus was a great prophet. We believe Jesus was a great prophet. And I said, well, that's all right. I said, but we don't believe Jesus was just a great prophet. We believe Jesus was the living God incarnate. The helpless sinner's friend. Folks, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. And so when you look at this matter of Jesus and you ask the question, how pro-Christ am I? I would never be anti-Christ, but, but am I pro-Christ? And folks, here's the thing. There's really no in-between. He said, listen, I don't know. I, 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 sometimes when you get to reading what Jesus said, it's a little harder to, to, to like him. You know, I wonder, I wonder if Jesus were alive right now, how many people would really like him how many people would really love him I just wonder sometimes because it's easy to romanticize an individual from 2,000 years away 
It's easy to do that. But when you look at some of the stuff Jesus said, I'm just going to go down the list of some of the stuff that he said. And, 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 and sometimes we have more of a problem with it. It's easier to praise him and shout about him than it is to really listen to what he said and let it influence our lives. For instance, you might have a little trouble with his whole turn the other cheek thing. Lord, just, I'll just praise you. How about that? <laughs> what about when he said, go the extra mile? What about when you get to the end of the mile you've been walking and Jesus is standing there saying, go another one? And you're like, you don't know what all I've already done. You don't know what all I've already been through. You don't know how much burden I've already borne. You don't realize that I've gone through this, 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 this. And Jesus said, go the extra mile. I wonder how pro-Christ we really are. What about when you've already given your, your cloak to your neighbor and Jesus is standing there saying, give him your garment also. But you're not, Jesus, you're not factoring what I've already done. You're not factoring how much I've already forgiven. He said, listen, you're trying to tell me that you should forgive a man seven times in a day. And folks, we'd be good to get to that point. He said, you think that's something to forgive a man seven times in a day? I'm telling you to forgive folks 70 times seven in a day. And we still got people trying to keep count. All right, I'll do 70 times 7. Let's see, we're at 232. You keep it up, buddy. We get to 491, and it's on. That's not what he was talking about. He was saying, keep forgiving, keep forgiving, keep forgiving, keep forgiving, keep forgiving. At one point, he said, you Obey the commandment, love thy neighbor as thyself. But he said, I give you a new commandment. It's a new commandment that I give you. Love your neighbor even as I have loved you. Now listen, when we talk about the love of Jesus Christ, when he says, even as I have loved you, he's talking about laying down his life for your neighbor. And listen to what he said about who, who to love. He said... Bless them which persecute you. He said, love them which despitefully use you. Folks, that, that's, that's hard to do. How pro-Christ are you? Love them which despitefully use you. Bless them which persecute you. I heard Brother George Glass Sr., who was Brother and Sister Louie's pastor in DeRitter and Sister Buller's pastor in Baton Rouge, great man of God, a great preacher of the gospel. He preached a message years ago at my grandfather's church entitled, Would You Want Jesus as Your Pastor? He said, I know everybody would say, oh, that'd be awesome. We'll, we'll, please give Jesus as our pastor. But he said, I don't know. I don't know if you'd really want Jesus as your pastor. Would you really like for Jesus to be able to know everybody's thoughts in the room? I mean, when that woman came in and poured that alabaster box out upon the feet of Jesus and made such a scene in the middle of that, that solemn occasion, and Jesus is just sitting there, and he allows it to happen. He doesn't stop her from pouring out her praise. He doesn't, he doesn't cause this spectacle to cease and desist, and he allows her to lavish her worship on him. And Simon is off in the corner. Oh, he would never dream of saying it because he's not anti-Christ. I mean, he's not anti-worshiping Jesus he's just thinking it why would he let a woman like this come up into this house and pour out her praise like that why would he allow a woman like if he knew what kind of woman that was what all she's done where all she's been and Jesus is just sitting there knowing the whole time what he's thinking and he looks over to Simon and said Simon I know you haven't said a word but I know what you're thinking and you think that this is all wrong that this woman should never pour out praise like she's pouring out praise but I have entered your house, and how long have I been here? And you have yet to anoint my feet. You have yet to, yet to pour out. Let me tell you something. 
Would you have a problem with that? Would you have a problem with what Judas had a problem with? Judas had a problem and said, listen, he said, couldn't we have given this money? This, this alabaster box is worth so much money. Couldn't we have used this money to feed the poor? But he didn't really want to feed the poor. He wanted to line his own pockets. And he said, couldn't we have done it to feed the poor? Jesus rebuked that and said, the poor you have with you always. I mean, come on, somebody's going to have a problem with this. Jesus just said, it's even more important to worship him than it is to feed the poor. You're going to have a problem with Jesus when he says something like that? Now, what about when he says that there was a rich man who fared sumptuously every day? And he lived in his house. And every day was a good day where he had so much abundance. He didn't have, didn't know what to do with all the stuff he had, all the extra food he had. And there was a certain beggar outside of his house. And the sores on that beggar were licked by the wounds, uh, licked by the dogs. The wounds were licked by the dogs. And this man had nothing. And though this rich man fared sumptuously every day, he walked by those poor, that poor beggar. And wouldn't even look on him. Wouldn't even consider his plight. He just walked on his merry way. Are you going to have a problem when that man goes to hell? For overlooking the needs of the poor. You're going to have a problem with Jesus? When Jesus well, what about that whole hell conversation? There's a lot of people who don't want to hear one word about hell. Don't want to hear one thing about hell. And Jesus talked about it constantly. He said there were three servants. And, 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 and five of, one of them had five talents. And one of them had two talents. And one of them had one talent. The five-talented servant multiplied his talents and turned it into ten talents. The two-talented servant multiplied his talents and turned it into four talents. The one-talented servant buried his talent in the earth. Tried to make his case to his master. And his master said... You you are a wicked and a slothful servant and cast him into outer darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. How much you like Jesus? What about when a rich young ruler walks up to him and says to him, Master, I have kept the law from my youth even until now. And Jesus, now I'm going to tell you something. If he had come to me and instead of saying master, but said, Pastor, I have kept the law from my youth up until now, I probably would have been like, man, that's awesome. Good job. Keep it up. Make sure you don't ever commit uh, adultery or kill or steal or, or bear false witness or, or, or covet or have other gods before you or make unto you any graven image. and Make sure to always remember the Sabbath day and make sure to always honor your parents. And, and I would have really congratulated him. But Jesus knew the condition of his heart. And so Jesus is not impressed with all of his righteous acts. Jesus is not impressed with all of his righteous deeds. And Jesus looks at him and says, okay, I'm glad you've kept all the law from your youth until now. Now Tell everything you've got and give to the poor because you lack one thing. One thing you lack. Sell everything you have and go give it to the poor. And the rich young ruler couldn't do it because he was a little more anti-Christ than he thought he was. He never dreamed that he had given over into ideas of the world. That he never dreamed that he had given over into following ideas that were anti-Christ. He thought he was pro-Scripture, pro-God, pro-Christ, pro-what is good, what is, what is right. And little did he know there was lurking one thing in his spirit that would prevent him from absolute obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember sitting in a... I was listening to a preacher preach and he was preaching against, he was preaching about Jesus, he was, he was exalting Jesus and he was preaching against Pharisees. He was preaching against the righteousness, the self-righteousness, pardon me, of Pharisees. And self-righteousness is not just a misguided form of righteousness. Self-righteousness is unrighteousness. And he was preaching against the self-righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And while he's preaching, against it. I'm, I'm with him. I'm like, yeah, go. That's right. Amen. Preach. Preach. He's doing it. He's getting it now. And, and then he kept going. And he was preaching against them. They were, they, they'd kept all the rules and regulations. They were hypocrites, but they were, but they were putting on a good show outwardly. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And then all of a sudden, he went like one step too far. And I was like, uh, why you gotta, I mean, come on. You've, you've done enough now. 
you've preached against the Pharisees and you've called them out. And yes, we know they're hypocrites and they're a generation of vipers and we get it and we know it. And, and, and all right, now let's move on and let's preach against some real sin. And then I stopped and I thought, Lord, why am I defending the Pharisees? And the Lord spoke to me as clear as he's ever spoken to me. And he said, because you're a Pharisee. You talk about, whoa, I thought I was so pro-Christ. But, but there were some things he preached I was having a problem with. There were some things he wrote that I wasn't accepting into my spirit. It was easier to shout about it than it was to get down into it and understand what he was saying. And for those of you who are glad to see the Pharisees get beat up, Oh, it's fun to see the Pharisees get beat up because they're such hypocrites and they're so self-righteous and they're always picking on everybody. It's nice to see the Pharisees get beat up. But what are you going to say when Jesus says to you, listen, the Bible says, the law says, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that if you look on a woman and lust after her, you have already committed adultery in your heart. He had, he had, listen, I'm going to tell you something. You may not agree with everything he said. You may not be as pro-Christ as you thought you were. There may be some stuff that he puts in his scriptures, his references to to hell and the, the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins. It is sobering how many times Jesus refers to hell. And if you don't believe that Jesus believes in hell, why do you think he came to this earth? Why do you think he manifested himself in the flesh of humanity? Why do you think he was born as a babe in a manger? Why do you think he subjected himself to the body of a human being? Why do you think that he walked this horrible earth, this sin-stricken earth? You and I, oh, I know it's a wonderful world. There's bees and there's, and there's trees and there's sun and there's everything. We don't even have a clue how beautiful this place is supposed to be, how God originally created it, how God originally ordained it. It is under such a a curse right now it is so sin stricken that's why God bless the Henderson family we just had the home going service for brother James Henderson last week we have the home going service for brother Stuart Evans this week that's why there is death in this world none of us are supposed to be dying none of us are supposed to have sickness in our body this is all a result of sin 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 if you don't think Jesus believes in hell you need to read what Jesus said because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost he came to deliver us from a devil's hell he came to pick us up out of our own I'm telling you Jesus said so much that offended so many and he even said listen I haven't I haven't I'm not I've not come to make everybody feel good I've came to set this thing in order I've come to put this thing aright I've come to come into this world to do what needs to be done. And so, so there are these references to Jesus. And what, what happens to us when we hear what Jesus says and when we hear what Jesus means and when we hear the word of the Lord and it pricks our heart and it gets down into where we really live. A lot of times, ladies and gentlemen, we end up resisting it and we balk at it and we have a problem with it. That's the spirit of anti-Christ trying to lead you astray from what the Lord would have in store for your life. Here's the problem. This is why a lot of people can look at the words of Jesus and say, I don't think I agree with that. I don't think I agree with that. I don't think I like that. I don't think I, I don't think I, I'm cool with that. I'm not, I'm not cool with that. I, I don't think that, I don't think a man should have to sell everything he has, give to the poor when he's been so good keeping the law from his youth. I, I disagree with Jesus there. I have a problem with what Jesus said there. This is because you have been hearing the spirit of anti-Christ. And you've been listening to a spirit of, of, a, of a world that has so imposed its ideologies upon you. But when you fall in love with Jesus, when you fall in love with Jesus... I said, when you fall in love with who he is, 
then you go back and look at everything he said and you see it from the correct perspective hallelujah and you embrace it with a whole heart now all of a sudden you're not looking at it from the eyes of a carnal mind and you're not seeing it from the eyes of well I don't think I this and I don't think I that and I don't think he's right there and I don't think he's right with that instead you fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ let me tell you what Jesus said he said even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so shall the son of man be lifted up now that serpent in Moses's wilderness was a serpent that was lifted up in the eyes of all the people and they were being bitten by venomous beasts venomous snakes and the venom was coursing through their body but if Moses would lift up this serpent in the wilderness everybody could look upon the serpent and if they could see the serpent they would be healed in their body and the venom of the snake bite would cease and the effects of the snake bite would now be dissipated Jesus said just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so shall I be lifted up from the earth he's talking about Calvary he didn't look at it as mere punishment he thought of it as being exalted he said if I be lifted up from the earth I will draw all men unto me let me tell you what I'm doing when I talk to you about Jesus Christ and him crucified I'm lifting him up from the earth and he draws all men unto him when I tell you that he loves you with an everlasting love when I tell you that he has peace that passes all understanding when I tell you there's a joy unspeakable and full of glory I am lifting him up from the earth he said if I be lifted up from the earth I will draw all men unto me I will draw all of the atheists unto me I will draw all of the Buddhists unto me I will draw Muslims unto me I will draw whosoever will let him come and drink of the waters of life freely I will draw all men unto me Do you know why he will draw all men unto him if he's lifted up from the earth because there's nobody ever willing to take upon themselves the sins of the world and go to an old rugged cross on their behalf don't you know Jesus didn't just come to tell you that if you're committing adultery you're in sin and that if you look on a woman and lust after her you've committed adultery in your heart and you're in sin that's not the only thing he came to do he came to show you the sin in your life and then take that sin upon himself and go to the cross and become your sin and be nailed to the cross just as he died so can your sin die you thought you'd always be an adulterer. You thought you'd always be a fornicator. You thought you'd always be a womanizer. But if you'll trust in the Lord, he will nail that sin to the cross and give you power to be a good and honorable human being who loves their wife, loves their children, loves God. You thought you'd never get over that chemical addiction. You thought you'd never get over that alcohol addiction. Jesus Christ came, hallelujah, not just to come in and say, you don't need chemicals, you need me. You don't need alcohol, you need me. He didn't just come to do that. He came to take your alcoholism and nail it to the cross. He came to take your drug addiction and nail it to the cross. And say, now be free, be free, be free, be free, be free. That's why he said, he whom the Son makes free is free indeed. That's why he said, if you know the truth, the truth shall make you free. Hallelujah. You thought you'd always be a liar. You thought you'd always be a deceiver. You can't keep yourself from it. You lie and don't even know you're lying. It's just the way things have become for you. You lie to get out of this. You lie to get out of that. You, you, 
You're just a liar. And Jesus came to say, I'm not just going to condemn you for being a liar. I'm not going to, I did not come to condemn the world. That's what he said. The world is already condemned. The world doesn't need another wagging finger. The world doesn't need another, I told you so. The world needs a savior. I said, the world needs a savior. Jesus stepped into this world to be the world's savior. You know what? Let me lift him up just a little while. I'm going to lift him up for just a little while. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Paul said to the church at Corinth, I know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Oh, hallelujah. He became the lie. He became the adultery. He became the envy. He became the pride. He became the deception. He became the cheating. He became everything you don't want in your life. All of the stuff that you wish could go, but you can't seem to release it. And you know what the world knows? The world knows that it's sinful. The question isn't, is it sinful to them? The question is, do I care if it's sinful? That's not that. I mean, you can, they know when something's wrong. You can sit at a you can sit at a at a, a restaurant and look in the menu and 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 they're like, this is a devilish delight, chocolate, <laughs> vanilla pudding, whatever. They never they never just give us some random. It's always it's always heavenly or devilish. <laughs> Sinful Sunday, because they know when something's wrong. But it tastes good. They know when something's wrong, but it feels good. They know when something's wrong, but they really want to do it and they really want it. Jesus came into this world to say, what you're looking for, you're looking for in the wrong places. You're looking for pleasure where pleasure cannot be found. What you're finding is a temporary pleasure. It lasts for a little while and it vanishes away. But in his presence, there is fullness of joy and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore pleasures pleasures forevermore oh hallelujah oh hallelujah if I see him lifted up notice you know it's real easy to go through the gospels and be like hmm why did he let, if he really knew what kind of woman he, she was, why did he let her break up that meeting, pour worship on him, pour oil on him? I got a problem with that. I got a problem. I got a problem with the way Jesus said this. Jesus said that. You're influenced by a spirit of anti-Christ. But when you see him lifted up from the earth and you realize he did something Muhammad was never willing to do, something that that Buddha was never willing to do when you see that he did something that none of the of the Hindi gods were willing to do when you when you when you realize that there was he did he he came into this world when he didn't have to you heard it said I'm gonna say it again he didn't have to do it but he did you know what he was doing folks he was taking responsibility for my sin that's un, that's amazing to me He came down into this world and said, Joel, I know you did this. I know you did that. I know you did this. I know you did that. I know you struggle with this. You struggle with that. You got a problem with this. You got a problem with that. But if you will turn from your wicked ways and pour your trust upon me, you've got to understand what Jesus did. He wasn't just just a man on that cross. He was your sin on that cross. And it's your sin that takes you to the, the hell that Jesus described. So when Jesus described hell, he wasn't describing hell so that he could put everybody in it. He was describing hell so he could save everybody from it. Hallelujah. Oh, I love him. Oh, I love him. When I see him lifted up, this is what happened to the prophet Isaiah. I lose my self-righteousness. I lose all this. I'm right and everybody else is wrong. 
I, I lose all of this. I got a problem with this. I got a problem with that. And I don't know if I see it this way and I see it that way. No, no, no. I lose all of that when I see him high and lifted up. He draws me unto him. Notice what happened to the prophet Isaiah. He said, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated upon a throne, and his train filled the temple. Now listen, I know he saw him on a throne, but I believe when Isaiah saw him high and lifted up, he also saw him lifted up from the earth. The reason I believe that is because if you look at Isaiah 53, you see the exact detail of the crucified Christ. Isaiah described it like he was standing there by the cold breath with John. And he said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He had stripes on his back. He had, a, he had listen folks, he had the chastisement of our peace upon him. He described Jesus in full detail hundreds of years earlier. That's why I believe he saw him high and lifted up upon the cross. Because of the way he responded when he said, I see him high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And one of the angels in his presence took a coal from off the altar. And brought it down to where I was and touched my lips. He said, woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And that's the effect that seeing Jesus high and lifted up will have upon a person. They will realize how undone they really are. I remember that feeling. I remember it well. Sitting there critiquing the preaching. Sitting there criticizing the way the preacher was preaching. Oh, he needs to stop preaching against the Pharisees. Start preaching something against something that really, that really is a problem. And I realized then how anti the things of God I really had become. There's only one thing to do. Fall on your face before God. Because now I go back and you know what? And the Lord, the Lord may not say to you like he did the rich young ruler. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He may not say to you like, like he did to the rich young ruler. I, I'm, not, I'm not telling everybody go sell everything you have. Okay? But I am saying that the Lord Jesus Christ, when you fall in love with him, can walk into your life and give you instructions that you may not agree with, but that you will obey. Because you are pro-Christ. I believe him. I trust him. I serve him. I love him. I live for him. Hallelujah. Because he did for me something nobody else could ever do. I'm going to tell you something. There are people that will fill. They will fill stadiums to worship about a touchdown, shout about, they'll do everything we did this morning, clap, sing, stomp, shout, rejoice over touchdowns, three-pointers, home runs, and grand slams, and, 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 and nobody who shot the three-pointer, nobody who cut the touchdown pass, nobody who hit the grand slam has ever done for you what Jesus has done for you. Nobody. And congratulations to them for what they can do. But Jesus is who's going to get my praise. Jesus is who's going to get my worship. Hallelujah. Glory. I'm going to tell you something. I'm thankful to be able to be baptized into his name. Put his name on me. I'll go down in his name. I'm not ashamed of that name. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God. It is the power of God. It is the power of God. It saved my soul. It broke my chains. I'm going to say that again. The power of his name saved my soul. The power of his name broke my chains. The power of his name set me free. It delivered me from my mental anguish. It delivered me from my spiritual bondage. It delivered me from my emotional turmoil. Glory. Even through the most distressing times of life. When I wanted God to move. And instead, he said, just be still. I don't know how to explain this. But even then, I knew he had everything under control. That everything was going to be all right. 
I don't know how to explain it, but I will worship him all the days of my life. I'm never going to stop praising him. I'm never going to stop lifting him up. I'm never going to stop magnifying his name. He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. I want to tell you, we were singing the song. You can stand if you'd like. Years ago, we were singing this song earlier. Years ago, years ago. Hundred some years ago. There was a young man who, there was a young man who went to the Moody Bible Institute. And he, he wasn't really supposed to be there. He was the son of a pastor. He was very rebellious to his dad, the pastor. He just did his own thing and lived his own way. And he didn't care what anybody thought. He just, he just went the way of that the enemy would have for him. The pastor became desperate and he, he called Dr. Tory and he said, can my son William Newell come to your school? He's a wayward young man. And I'm desperate that he would, I'm desperate that he would hear from the Lord and come to your school. Dr. Tory said, no, I'm sorry, we can't accept him. He, uh, he said, we're not a reform school. He said, we're, we're we're taking serious Bible students who really want to work for the Lord. And we're not interested in bringing somebody in who isn't decided on how they're going to live their life. And Dr. Or Reverend Newell said, no, you don't understand. I'm desperate. I'm desperate. I need you to let my son come to your school. Dr. Tory, against his better judgment, finally relented. And said, all right, all right, he can come. But under, on this condition, he said he has to come to every class, attend every class, complete every assignment. He has to check in with me every single day and be accountable to me. He said, if he'll do that, he can come. Okay, uh, I'll make sure I'll tell him, don't mess this up, Bill. So Bill Newell went to Moody Bible Institute and Dr. Tory let him know you attend every class you complete every assignment you come to my office every day and be accountable to me. Bill Newell agreed so he did. Attended every class completed his assignments and every day he would show up at Dr. Tory's office Dr. Tory I'm just here to be accountable to you. Thank you for letting me be in the school. And Dr. Torrey would just check in with him, make sure he was doing as he needed to do. In this process of being in that environment, connecting with the school's president, the accountability, something started to minister to this young man's heart. Something started to get a hold of him. And one day he burst into the room and he said, Dr. Torrey, I have had an experience with God. He said, I even wrote a poem to describe the experience I've had with God. He said, I want to share it with you. Later, they put it to music. But this is how the poem went. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. By God's word, at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. Now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own Him as my King. Now my raptured soul can only sing of Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. You want to know how to overcome the spirit of Antichrist? 
you get fixated on Calvary. You want to know how to overcome the most subtle and sinister of all demons that would try to drag your soul down into despair and depression? You get fixated on the cross of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You stand at the foot of that cross and you worship Him. Listen, when you can't think of anything else to thank God for, thank God for the blood. 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 I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus. I wouldn't be a man who preaches the word of God if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus. I would have no ability to stand before anybody and talk about Jesus if it wasn't for the grace and the mercy and the love of my God. Lest any of us ever forget why we're here. It's not of your works. It's not because you're such a good person. It's not because you've been so disciplined and so holy. There's not hope but God there is none good but God he is worthy he is holy he is righteous he alone he alone he alone is worthy hallelujah hallelujah if you're struggling today with allowing the word of God to have free course in your heart and in your mind I invite you to say Lord Jesus Christ I need you I need you. I need you. I turn from my wicked ways. I turn from the sin that has crippled me. I turn from the sin that has bogged me down. I turn from the sin that has caused me despair in my life. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I want somebody to come forward and say, God, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you everything. Come on, somebody come right now. That's it. That's it. Come on. That's it. Somebody else. Come on. In the name of Jesus. There you go. God, I'm bringing you everything. I'm holding nothing back. I'm holding nothing back. Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Come on, that's it. Lay, lay aside. Lay aside. Lay aside your pride. Lay aside your pride. Lay aside your pride. 